Viola Cardia, Gia Davis, Jerry Adams and Shaw. August Fimei just takes Queen of Fui Bobby Sands. Shaw and La and a Worse Bass. A Kempa Keshpada and a Black and a Hitch. So it's La Ugnok, La Bronokok, again Tom Kerna, La Brodewell, a Shaw. Uh, I first met Bobby Sands in Cage 11. I don't know exactly the first time we met, but there were about 80 of us there. Uh, and for those of you who don't know about the cages, it was a, a compound surrounded by high wire fences in which there were four Nissen huts and uh, a study hut, as it was called, and a, a toilet shower hut. And at, at one point there were 22 of these cages in Long Cation. Cage 11, one of the Nissen huts, was also a gale tucked. Gale Tocti were set up by some prisoners wanting to learn or to live their lives through Irish. And that's where, where Bobby was. And I don't know exactly the first time we met, but it was almost certain that one of the discussion groups that I set up there when I arrived in Cage 11 in 1975. And Bobby was keenly interested in our discussions. And we went on to get the books from outside, books from old Joe Clark's book bureau in Dublin and from the Colony Association in London. And as political books were banned from Long Cash, our friends outside used to put other book covers on them. And I still have in my bookshelves Desmond Greaves' brilliant book about Liam Mallows, which was described and disguised as something less dangerous. And Bobby was a ferocious reader. He was also a keen sportsman. He, he played a robust form of soccer or Gaelic football whenever he got the chance. He had long hair. We all had. He had a great sense of humour. He loved the music. He was very good on the guitar. And I remember the two of us sitting in the study hut. In reality, the study hut was a wooden shed. And I'd be writing while Bobby would be practising on his guitar. And one of his party pieces was the classic by Chris Christopherson, Me and Bobby McGee. And later in the hits blocks he went on to, to write songs including Michael Hatton and Back Home in Derry. And these were famously recorded by Christy Moore and are now part of the tradition. And Bobby Sands would be immensely proud of that. I recall one memorable Christmas Eve we held a concert and there was a bar from which beer and cider and patching which had been illicitly brewed was distributed and it was the best of good crack and the highlight of that night consisted of a bunch of prisoners including Bobby and the late Danny Lennon all appropriately costumed maiming to Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Bobby was a very intelligent, a very committed Republican. He enjoyed political discussions. He was very open to new ideas. And many of our kids' discussions focused on the need to convert passive support for our struggle into active support. And if the need for 
the primacy of politics and for clear strategies and democratic structures to implement these strategies. And it was at this time that he picked up on the concept of everyone having a role in the struggle, no matter how small that may be. He was also an internationalist. He was especially interested in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa and the efforts of the Palestinian people to achieve a homeland. Nelson Mandela was on Robben Island when Bobby died. In Nelson Mandela's cell, he was allowed as a privilege a calendar on which he marked significant events. And on the 5th of May 1981, there's a single simple line written, IRA martyr Bobby Sands dies. Of course, none of us in Cage 11 foresaw any of this. For a small group with release dates pending, our concern was about how we could transfer some of our ideas to the outside. And I remember in the weeks before his release, Bobby seeking me out to walk around the yard, bowling, is what we called it in prison parlance, as we swapped political ideas and concepts. He was released from Cage 11 in early 1976. He reported back to the IRA in Twinbrook, where he also set about promoting ideas for local activists, acting in solidarity with their communities. He became very involved in local housing actions, including the Twinbrook Tenants Association. And in August that year, as the, the battle in the hate blocks began, I suppose, or intensified, the annual Republican march for the first time was focused on raising awareness about British efforts to end political status and to criminalise the prisoners and through them the Republican struggle. And that uh, rally was addressed by Maura Drum and Bobby was part of the Colour Party and new photographs which were found only last year of him taking part show a very young man with relatively short hair striding along holding a flag. And just weeks later, he was imprisoned again. On this occasion, and like hundreds of men and women, Bobby was denied political status. He joined the prison protests, which were now taking place in the hits blocks and in Armagh Women's Prison. He was naked, except for a blanket, and with the other prisoners living under the most brutal and violent of prison regimes. And he was written to write about the conditions in the hits blocks and they provide an insight into a spirit that refused to be broken. When he died on May the 5th, Bobby had spent one third of his 27 years in prison. And yet his name is known and honoured around the world. His writings tell us much about the man. I like in particular his poem, The Rhythm of Time. But for this occasion, I think it appropriate that we read his own account of one day in his life in the hits blocks. And just imagine, as we would, the courage and strength of character that allowed Bobby and Francie, Raymond, Patsy, Joan Martin, Kevin, Kieran, Tom and Mickey to put their lives on the line for their comrades and for the Irish cause. In this anniversary week, of his death, here is Bobby Sands in his own words.
I am blessed to have known him and his comrades. One day in my life, I mumbled a Hail Mary to myself in a hurried act of contrition as I heard the approaching jingle of keys. Several gloved hands gripped and tightened around my arms and feet, raising my body off the ground and swinging me backwards in the one movement. The full weight of my body recoiled forward again, smashing my head against the corrugated iron surrounding the gate. The sky seemed to fall upon me as they dropped me to the ground. Every part of me stung unmercifully as the heavily disinfected water attacked my naked, raw flesh. I made an immediate and brave attempt to rise out of the freezing, stinging water, but the screws held me down while one of them began to scrub my already tattered back with a heavy scrubbing brush. I shriveled with the pain and struggled for release. But the more I fought, the more they strengthened their arm grip. They continued to scrub every part of my tortured body, pouring buckets of ice-cold water and soapy liquid over me. I vaguely remember being lifted out of the cold water. The statistic screw had grabbed my testicles and scrubbed my private parts. That was the last thing I remember. I collapsed. It was cold, so very, very cold. I rolled on my side and placed my little treasured piece of tobacco onto the mattress and felt the dampness clinging to my feet. That's another day nearer to victory, I thought, feeling very hungry. I was a skeleton compared to what I used to be, but it didn't matter. Nothing really mattered except remaining unbroken. I rolled over once again, the cold biting at me. They have nothing in their entire imperial arsenal to break the spirit of one single Republican political prisoner of war who refuses to be broken. I thought that to myself, and that was very true. They cannot or never will break our spirit. I rolled over again, freezing, and the snow came in the window on top of my blanket. Chucky Arla, I said to myself. Chucky, our laugh.